This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. And a good big hello to you folks. Thanks for being with us on the Thursday edition of the program. The guy over there, Brock Richardson, joining me, settling in today on the program. Glad to have you with us, sir. Glad to be back. I, uh, it's been a little bit of time, a couple of weeks. I didn't think it would be such a quick turnaround to be back, but it's nice to be back in the hosting, co-hosting chair alongside you. So autumn has uh, arrived, or fall, depending, what do you call it, autumn or fall? Uh, fall. Okay, so fall has arrived, wonderful, great, love it, love this time of year. But for so many of us, it also means a winter sport, hockey, returning. Um, junior hockey, I think kicking off this weekend, exhibition NHL hockey, starting. Um, what is the thing right now at this time of year, still a little bit out in front of, of hockey, even though the last few seasons Seasons have been all over the place with the pandemic controlling that. Uh, what is the thing in, in hockey world that you most start getting excited about around now? Uh, just the fact that it's a new beginning, and I speak that out of being a Leaf fan because we all know what happens to the Leafs, you know, midway through the season. Everyone's at a fresh start. And overall, Kelly, to be honest with you, I just believe that Hockey in Canada is in a good place. The Ottawa Senators have made a lot of, you know, revamping. Edmonton's taken a lot of the Toronto Maple Leaf guys. And so they've done a lot of, like Calgary, all kinds of good stuff uh, has taken place. And I think hockey across the country will be fun to watch this year. Canada hockey is uh, in our position in the world. There seems to be so many other countries coming on, right? Whether it's it's overseas or even the Americans. Yeah, I think the easy answer always seems to be, oh, Canada will be right there with us at the end of international events. And I think we're learning that players are coming up and, and competing with us, which is only good for the parity of the game. And I think that's what everybody wants is to see, you know, Different teams win, whether it's the Stanley Cup, World Championships, Olympic Games. You know, we obviously want to see Canada win, but sometimes it is nice to see other countries grow and be better and better just for the parity of the game itself. Check out Brock Richardson and the panel talking more sports on the Neutral Zone podcast, available from your favorite podcast platform, also available as a video podcast on YouTube, or you can hear it right here on AMI-audio, Tuesdays at 11 in the morning. Catch Brock also speaking sports with host of Now with Dave Brown, Dave Brown, uh, weekday mornings as well on AMI-tv. Let's see what we've got ahead right here on Kelly and Company. Fern Lullum is going to highlight disability-focused campaigns being run by not-for-profit organizations in the UK. We speak with Luke McConnell, who is hosting a fundraising event in memory of his good friend Justin Masotti with Sock Ability Canada. We learn more about this great initiative and why it's so important to him. And... Step back in time with us, folks, and explore 70 years of Canadian children's television in the Canadian Museum of History's newest exhibition, and it features everything from Pepino 
to Paw Patrol television of our childhood in the next hour here on Kelly and Company. I'll start here, things, folks, with a food recall due to Listeria. Fresh and local brand turkey, uh, bacon, and sub, uh, bacon subs. Um, that's what the product is, the bacon sub here. Uh, and, of course, the issue being listeria. So if it's a favorite, if it's a food that you're coming in contact or thinking, uh, you know, right now, uh, no, it has been recalled due to listeria. Um, folks, I want to talk about a Canadian study here to get us off, the, off and running, a little bit of COVID discussion. Uh, a Canadian study has found that some long COVID patients who still suffer from fatigue and other symptoms after a year of uh, 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 infection show some signs of autoimmunity um, uh, that's going on. Uh, sorry, autoimmune disease, like rheumatoid arthritis. The study published today in the European Respiratory Journal looked at 106 patients in Hamilton and Vancouver. It shows the two specific abnormal antibodies, which are known to cause autoimmune disease, persisted in about 30% of long COVID patients a year after infection. Sarah Olson says she's been on leave from her job as a kindergarten teacher since January of 21. I'll be 41. It's Saturday, and I need a walker. The study was led by Manali Mukherjee, a respiratory researcher at Hamilton's McMaster University. She was diagnosed with long COVID herself and says the persistence of autoantibodies for 12 months or more points to the need for patients to test for signs of autoimmune disease. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. So this is something Brock sounds like should be really across the board for all of us because the likelihood is in, even if you don't necessarily know you've actually had COVID, it's very possible that you did. doesn't matter how strong or weak that you've had it. These sound like things just in time not to necessarily hit an alarm button about, but why not? Just start doing some testing and see what we might find. I think we're going to discover many different things as, as what seems to be that if you've had COVID, any potential disease that you may your body may be starting to work on or condition um, gets stepped up a little. Yeah, it's it's funny that, you know, the fatigue um, thing came up because I've joked on this program that, you know, in the middle of my day, sometimes I I, I fall asleep. And uh, I, I honestly wonder if part of that is due to the fact that I've had COVID not once, but twice. And I mean, it's it's one thing to say, oh, you know, you're busy. It's all well and good. Um, but I do wonder if for myself personally, I'm going through a little bit of that. I do notice that some days it's better than others, but it could also just be partially dietary. It could be long haul. We just don't know. And it's good to check it out and figure it out what it might be so that maybe you could learn, you know, what to do to hopefully counteract that or, you know, whatever the case may be, because things will evolve over time, Kelly. Also, we can assume we're all going to catch it multiple times in our lifetime, so who knows what toll it'll take. Uh, Tonight, you're invited to a star-studded birthday party for the legendary TV producer Norman Lear. The creator or co-creator of legendary TV shows including All in the Family, The Jeffersons, One Day at a Time, and more turned 100 in July. And now ABC is throwing Norman Lear a birthday party featuring George Clooney, Tom Hanks, and more. If only he could remember any of our names. That title, 100 Years of Music and Laughter, means a lot to Lear. I have long, long felt that 
Music and laughter adds time to one's life. It certainly has added time to one's, my life. Norman Lear, 100 Years of Music and Laughter, premieres tonight on ABC and will hit Hulu on Friday. Jason Nathanson, ABC News. Hollywood. Wow. What a thing to say that music and laughter, right, Brock? What else can you think of that generally makes you feel good, whether it's old memories because a song you relate it back to something, something makes you laugh, or just hits you on that spot in your, in, in your heart? Yeah, it's it's totally true. And music can really touch people in all aspects. And for me, not only is it music, but it's also sports, which I don't think will come as a surprise to anyone. Yeah, Norman Lear did mention that. He did not. Even in his hundred hundred years, no mention of the sports in that one, Brock. So maybe won't be mentioned. I don't know if he's done a sports-related show either. Anyway, Fedora's off to Norman Lear. Maybe you'll catch that show tonight on the program. Coming up. In a few moments on our show, Michael Fair brings us part two of Apple's Far Out 2022 presentation. Today, we focus on the new line of iPhone 14S. Stick around. Question. I know you have them, folks. They just they come to mind. Something you may want to ask Accessible Media Inc. Check out the Facebook page. There's lots to listen to over there. There's lots of conversation, and you can ask a question there if you'd like. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page, or you can send an email in, feedback at ami.ca. The gang at uh, Communications and Marketing loves to help you out. We know we know how hopeful Greg David is over there, right, when we have him on the show, always hitting him with questions, peppering him all over the place. Feedback at AMI.ca if you have questions. And, of course, on Twitter, at AMI-audio, check out what's happening from uh, segment to segment on our live show when we're on. Or if you have questions about programming on AMI-audio, they're always happy to oblige and answer. That's the handle, at AMI-audio on Twitter. Brock Richardson joining me from his home in Kitchener. Kelly McDonald here at the home in London, Ontario. Welcome to back to Kelly and Company. It's time for our audio and tech segment with Michael Fair. Let's bring him on. Hi, I'm Mike Fair. iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly and Company. Last week, you guys talked about the new Apple Watch and its new models, as well as the updated AirPods Pro. Today, Michael Fair moves towards the new generation of iPhones. Michael, welcome to the program. And was this a very um, innovative year for the iPhone specifically? Not as as much. Uh, a lot of stuff is, especially for everyday use, it's more evolutionary and not really revolutionary. Uh, but we do have a, a few big things. The, the one large one is satellites, of course, a satellite connection that's coming to all of the iPhone 14s. And you know that's that's one of those things that that is more revolutionary. But you're not probably going to use it very often unless you get into a lot of trouble. Uh, so uh, it's. It's one of those things that isn't going to impact most people, but boy, if you need it, you'll be very glad it's there. So there's there's things like that. Crash detection is another one of these things mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're in a, a car wreck for any reason, uh, you'll be very glad when that those sensors kick in and get you help. 
we've had some great conversation about the the satellite and just learning that about the crash sensor uh, with uh, John Beeler during our app update on Fridays. Uh, really interesting stuff there, and and stuff that you stop and say, no brainers. This is this is great. This is the way we should be going, and uh, voila, we are. What's new for the iPhone 14 and 14 Plus, Mike? Yeah, th- these changes at the lower price tier. The changes are almost, you know, they're they're tiny improvements in some ways. Like mm-hmm. you notice them, but not as much if you're coming, especially from last year's phones. So the internal design has been improved. It's the same chip as last year, the A15 Bionic, uh, but they improved the internal design to make it better able to deal with heat. So sometimes if you were doing something really taxing with the chip, it would you know, be affected by overheating and it would slow down to, to help it cool uh, and prevent any kind of serious damage from happening. Right. That won't happen as often because they rejigged the internal design of these things. Uh, the cameras have been improved. Uh, it's still a 12 megapixel on the 14 and 14 plus, mm-hmm. uh, but you do get uh, the software improvements uh, that uh, also have arrived on the pros and that will improve your picture quality a lot. So a lot of this, it's Apple does this. They blur the lines between hardware and software. And on the lower end iPhones, the, the, the 14, 14 plus, that's what we're seeing here. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a, a lot of this is, is everyone's going to get it with iOS 16, but it'll be more effective on the newer phones kind of thing. And when you talk about the cameras specifically, how do these improvements help uh, blind individuals specifically? Yeah, the camera is one of those things that I, when I first got my iPhone, I thought, what am I going to do with this? You know, And then I, it became one of the more useful things. You can identify things. You can uh, get help looking for lost objects. And all of that uses the camera. So if you're blind and you get uh, in these apps that will help you identify things, including the camera app and the magnifier app now. Um, you can identify plants and people. You can read text with the camera. All of that is going to be helped by the, the image stabilization improvements and another aspect of this. Uh, so that means you don't have to hold the camera as steady. Uh, you know, And autofocus means you don't have to be quite as skilled as a sighted photographer. and You'll still get what you need to accomplish what you want. Uh, low lighting. You know, a lot of times I forget to turn the lights on mm. and I go and just plunk down a document yeah. <laughs> on, in, on my phone and think it should be fine. And that'll be more true now with this stuff because they've done a lot of work with, for low light uh, photos. And that will help blind people who don't realize how dark it is where they are when they try to get sighted help with video apps like uh, uh, Be My Eyes, for example, or Ira. Or if they're trying to use artificial intelligence to identify things with seeing AI or uh, other apps of that nature. That's really amazing. You know, when you look at that stuff, the lighting, the positioning, you know, so many things that are going to be so helpful. Mike, I hope you don't mind. I want to circle around. I did mention we've talked about the satellite capabilities with John Beeler on the show. I want to get your take, too, on this. What do you think about this new satellite communications ability? Well, I mean, for for accessibility, I think we're going to be in the same boat Like mm-hmm. with, with this. I don't think we're going to have any additional challenges because you can't see the satellites anyway. Right. So they have to put in stuff to, to, to let you, as a sighted person, point the phone at the satellite and keep it tracking as you're you know, dealing with the menus to deliver your message. And I don't see why Apple wouldn't have thought that through so that blind people could 
pinpoint the satellite. And then, of course, the, the options, it's not like you're t really typing in text. You're choosing responses from a menu. So, again, mm -hmm. very easily made accessible. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be just stunned if this wasn't as excitable, as accessible for blind people as it is for anyone else. Well, you would think yeah. it has to be, Mike, right? For one, nobody can see the satellite, to point it at yeah. it. You know, we might remember the old satellite the TV and you had someone come over and they had to locate it on your balcony in your backyard, whatever it was when so many people were first getting into satellite TV. And we were discussing this because, hey, yeah, well, of course, nobody can see. It's kind of like the question, well, how does a blind person find their mouth when they're eating? Well, when was yeah. the last time you looked at your mouth to <laughs> yeah, see the food exactly. going in? Do you sit in front can't of a mirror all the time? Can't imagine anything more ugly to yeah. look at than <laughs> the food going in there. That's right. Uh. And so... <laughs> Would you recommend this upgrade for people with talking about the 14 or 14 plus for the iPhones? Uh, I would tend to say if, if you've already got an iPhone 13, I might recommend you wait uh, because the improvements you're going to notice in everyday use are going to be relatively small. Uh, so unless you're really doing a lot of traveling and might get into disastrous situations, you know, there's nothing huge here. The, the improvements are, are going to be very modest. Uh, and in everyday use, I think you'd be fine waiting another year. But if you're coming from anything older than about an iPhone 11, yes, that at this point, I think you might want to consider updating just for the, the improvements you would notice uh, between that and, and the, the 14 and 14 plus. Hi, guys. Yeah, Mike, Mike Fair said I should. I'll notice the uh, improvements going from my 8 to a 14. Oh, um, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about the iPhone um, 14 Pro Max? Yeah, this is where you get some of the bigger improvements. You get a 48-megapixel camera, uh, which is massive improvement. That's like because the cameras before this were 12 megapixels, right? So you, that is going to massively help uh, photography. Uh, and I would bet that's that's enough. Like blind people are going to notice probably the difference. It's probably going to be easier to take, uh, get help uh, quickly and take pictures that the AI can identify better. Or certainly with videos, if you're getting sighted help for something, they're going to probably notice the difference and be able to help you more. Uh, the A16 chip, you get about 20% faster with everything uh, from the last year with the A15 chip. So. You know, you'll, you'll, that's in the noticeable range, uh, especially, you know, if, you, if you're someone who taxes these things, if you're doing video editing or a lot of, you know, gaming, really intensive processor stuff, you're going to notice that more. Uh, so there's, there's a better true death camera, which will help for face recognition. It speeds it up and uh, is, is better at uh, just getting the face recognized quicker. So uh, that'll be nice. Always on display. I don't know how well that's going to work with voiceover. I'm mm -hmm. kind of keeping an eye out for tweets about that. I I can see it being disastrous, but also kind of neat. So we'll see where the chips fall on that one. And what what's the big deal on the dynamic island feature, Mike? Ah, yes, the tropical definition of software. Yeah, now this is uh, basically what they've done is they've surrounded the little pill shape uh, with, where the camera and the uh, microphone are behind. They've they've put uh, kind of a uh, region around that that's kind of interactive. So it's always on. It's always displaying stuff, even if you're on the lock screen. 
And you can do stuff with that island. So if you see it alert you to, say, a music app and show you what's playing, you can, you know, there are controls you can bring up by tapping on that section of the island. It is fully accessible, apparently, with voiceover. Uh, and you'll only get this on the iPhone Pros. So, so far, I've heard good things about it. Uh, I, I frankly am quite happy with what I have. But, you know, this island thing does seem to be something that maybe might get passed down eventually to other phones. So we might all have to deal with it eventually. It, it's sounding good, though. It sounds like Apple did think through how this is going to work with voiceover. So that's good. Okay. Well, we're always wondering the accessibility, especially when you're thinking, is that something I need to move up to? Is there something that I can't get with this phone but would with the Pro? So do the Pro yep. models of iPhones have anything special when it comes to accessibility? <laughs> Yes, and this will annoy a lot of people. Uh-oh. It is a chime. It, you can get a chime to tell you when you start the phone up and when it's turning off. Uh, and it, it's, it loads before <laughs> the operating system, right? So right away when you're successful at, at getting it so it powers on, you hear a bring kind of sound to let you know that. And then it will load the operating system. So this is something that blind people have wanted for years and you know just wanted to know that yes it's turning on and yes it's it's starting after a long update to load now and get ready to co- you know come back we've had no way to tell until the voiceover loads which could take like 30 seconds after you hit the the button you know and you'll be wondering well that that of of course you can enable and disable that so you're not stuck with the chime if you don't want it but it would help a lot. and it vibrates for deafblind as well they thought Beautiful. of that too so yeah nice. yeah so but you need a pro eye for the top of the line iphone to get that chime <laughs> am i the only one am i the only one that misses the old lock screen noise i love oh, that yeah. you know the i can't tell you how many people say to me you just took a picture and it's like no i didn't no. i just locked my screen because everyone thinks yep. oh it's a picture it's, sound it's like no no yeah. it's not very yeah. similar quick little sounds yep yeah, yeah. this this chime will be helpful in, in some cases, that's for sure. Mike, quickly, does this make you want to digitally run out and get anything new? Not this year. I'm pretty happy with my iPhone 13, and I think I will be for the next you know couple of years uh, at least, hopefully even three years. Uh, but I will, I'm very glad for these changes because I think they will. some of them will trickle down. I really hope LiDAR makes a move down to the main range, and this chime... I want the chime for my next <laughs> iPhone. That would be great. Uh, but, yeah, those kind of things, because so, you know, that happens, right? You see it first on the pros, yeah. and then stuff trickles back. And I hope the right pieces of this trickle back because uh, it's not, you know, the pro is like twice the cost of an iPhone, uh, regular iPhone, p- pretty much. Uh, I, and I'm not paying that for for those advantages. Uh, but if you, depending on your lifestyle, you might want to. If you're doing a lot of traveling, uh, or you're deafblind or have other real special conditions that that make some of these advantages worth it, you might really find the pros worth getting. Jo- uh, Jonathan Mosin is an example of someone who really does um, use those pros and really appreciates all those features enough to justify the price. Of course, uh, so, yeah. So it really it depends Great. on your lifestyle. Great stuff as always, Mike. I know that I made a huge difference between the 8 and the 11. Thanks so much, oh, and you'll be yeah. back with us next week, <laughs> as you always absolutely. do. Yeah, that's absolutely. Mike Fair, jo- that's Mike Fair, who joins us every week at this time, and he'll be back next week. We'll uh, take a break for a moment here on the program. When we return, Fur Lullum is going to highlight disability-focused campaigns being run by not-for-profit organizations in the U.K. Stick around. 
Brock Richardson hanging out with me today, folks. Wherever you are hanging out with us, thanks for doing so. Maybe you're listening over at AMI.ca. You can stream the uh, show right from there if you'd like to. Listen in on all the AMI-audio content, AMI.ca. And, of course, you can always think about downloading us to your smart device and uh, maybe putting an app such as TuneIn Radio or OOTune so you can enjoy doing a search for us, find AMI-audio, and away you go. That's download TuneIn Radio or OOTunes to your smart device. Speaking of, wherever you're listening in around the world, it's time to check in on some things across uh, the water from us as we're joined by our friend from the UK, Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. So I was telling Brock Fern on the break that as my vision gets worse, it's amazing the things that I... I can, can convince myself are happening that may not necessarily be and looking around saying, hey man, do I have that light on? Do I not? Is it on? I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Sounds about right, Kelly. Yeah. Exactly. Doesn't it? You just sort of make do whatever, right? Somebody will tell me if it's, if it's necessary or not. Yeah. If I need that light, right? You know, uh, how are you? Welcome back to the show. I am doing great, Kelly. Thank you very much for welcoming me back. It's lovely to be here. Today, we're going to highlight some of the campaigns being run by disabled charities in the UK, and I'm quite excited to learn about this stuff. Yeah, so I thought that I would give everyone a bit of a flavour of some of the things that are affecting the lives of disabled people here in the UK and what our charities are going to do to lend some support. Awesome. Okay, well, where do we start? Well, let's start with children, because we all behave like them from time to time, so we might as well start there. Best way to be. um, Indeed. So Scope, which is a major charity for disabled people uh, in the UK, is running a campaign called Let's Play Fair. And the clue is in the title, so it's about inclusive playgrounds. Love that. And it's always good to have inclusive playgrounds playgrounds but can you give us the idea of the scale of the problem in the UK Fern? Well half of families with disabled children say that they face accessibility problems with their local playground and also one in two parents say that their disabled child got hurt while using inaccessible equipment so it's no good. Oh, So you spoke there about the physical danger but I guess there's the emotional side of things too. Absolutely. You know, I like to talk about the emotional side of things. This is really important because naturally, if disabled children aren't able to join in with play, it can lead to feelings of isolation and exclusion, you know, things that a lot of us can relate to from our childhoods. And this can have a really lasting impact on their development and on their lives as adults. And so what is the scope of asking people to tackle this? Well, they want to see accessible equipment in playgrounds, including some with sensory features as well, um, which would obviously be really helpful for people with disabilities. So they want to see appropriate surfaces and fences to ensure physical safety. So there's no injuries or accidents of that kind. Mm -hmm. But as always, cost has to come into it. 
Of course, of course, it all comes back to cost, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So Scope do accept that the changes will cost a lot of money. Of course they will. However, they are asking the government to create a specific fund for inclusive playgrounds. And they point out that there is UK legislation um, and a United Nations convention which requires adjustments to be made so that disabled children can play. So we got the law on our side. This sounds pretty comprehensive in the waiting. What are some of the challenges in the UK of this uh, campaign happening? Yeah, so Scope are asking people to sign an open letter to the government, which is on their website. And they're also giving guidance on how to set up and how to run a meeting with your local member of parliament to discuss inclusive playgrounds if you want to take action yourself. I love the open meeting. I love the signing. But, you know, you know, you just hope, OK, if we're signing, hopefully there's there's somewhere someone who sees this, who says, look, you get me this kind of data that I can take. This is a good foot forward to make these things happen and make people understand and at least see how many voters want, want mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Uh, it does sound comprehensive for those wanting to start the campaign. So let's talk a little bit about other campaigning, campaigning going on with other UK charities. Mm-hmm. Yes, so there is the Royal National Institute of Deaf People, or RNID, over here, and they are campaigning for access to all retail to be better for deaf people. Mm -hmm. They want the retail industry to make more stores more accessible to deaf people. And is that specifically what they're asking for, or is is there more in-depth to that? Yeah, so what they want is they want retailers to do four key things. Firstly, they want any face masks worn by retail staff to have clear panels to aid lip reading, because obviously that's really, you know, been difficult for the deaf people in, in our current times. Alternatively, they ask that staff lower their masks before the mouth, if um, or below the mouth, should I say, if speaking to a deaf person, as long as obviously it's safe to do so and they're in safe distance to do that. You know, I think so many of us, you forget some of those things. I heard that, heard that early in the pandemic about not being able to rip, uh, lip read, also even for ourselves, hearing. So uh, very interesting. And I think we forget, especially retail, there's there's always some of those things, people turning to show you something and, and turning away from the person needing that. So I, I can imagine this is a campaign that definitely is important. Now, although people... Less people are wearing masks now. This is obviously still uh, an issue that deaf people face. So what else do they are they asking for? Well, they want the background noise, including piped music, reduced. Mm. And they also want hearing loops to be installed so that people using hearing aids can hear more clearly. Because you can imagine anything that's going on in the background is going to be a hindrance to that. And last but not least, they also want all retail staff to have deaf awareness training. Because how many staff are just not trained in this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And there's just so many things that... and. Some of it to the normal uh, population would seem like, oh, this is simple. And mm-hmm. for those of us with challenges, it's not always simple. And, it, and it's, it's tough to see and watch sometimes. What is the R&D doing to put pressure on retailers to do this? 
Well, around two years ago, they asked people to sign an open letter to retailers. They got about 2,000 signatures and then they sent the letter to many of the major UK companies and they say that they've had some really positive responses and they will continue to engage with the big retailers, going to the big boys. Nice. Very, very nice. Uh, I think that's very positive and interesting where an approach like this going instead of by the charity uh, making their appeal to the service providers rather than the government. So what about sight loss charities in the UK? What are they giving attention to right now? Well, the Royal National Institute for Blind People or RNIB, you might sense the theme going on Mm -hmm. over here, Um, they have a series of campaigns under the heading of Remaking Our Streets, okay? So one of the issues included in that campaign is something that I think nearly every blind person can relate to. Okay, so I'm curious. Put us out of our misery and tell us what it is. It is. Branches and shrubs Mm. that overhang the pavement or sidewalk, if I'm talking Canadian. (laughs) Who hasn't walked, slashed, or banged into some form of vegetation that should have been trimmed back some time ago? My gosh. Oh, yes, uh, indeed. Pretty hard to find them up there in the air. Yeah, 100%. I definitely have a lot of times. It wasn't pleasant. And um, it can be very dangerous. You know, it really can. And as it tends to be on face level, sometimes eye level, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't detect it with a cane. Your guide dog isn't going to tell you it's there. You know, they're not going to point up and be like, woof, woof, get out of the way. Um, (laughs) Because clearly Nancy doesn't do that. Um, And unfortunately, and, you know, they're just not looking for obstacles up that high. So this is a really big problem. Yeah, for cane users, well, you can't be in the no, air like that. In uh, the trimming air. trees. That I have a, a, a an eye injury that I got back in college that still once in a while bothers me. If I rub my eye the wrong way or whatever, I'll get a sudden sharp pain in it, and it's all from a branch uh, going in under mm. my eyelid. Horrible, horrible. Wow. Awful. And, and Fern, this is what I'm talking about, about something like this. It seems so simple to the general public of, well, Mm. just get out of the way. And it's like, well, we can't see it. So if you can't see it, you can't get out of the way. And and Mm -hmm. it's just that simple. So in this regard, what is the RNIB doing to help? Well, their website points out that local authorities have legal powers to require residents to remove overhanging branches and hedges, which cause obstruction to pedestrians. So once again, the law is on our side. On our side, but then the first thing we hear from law enforcement is we are overworked and so many calls are coming in. Um, So the authorities will have to rely, depend very much so on people reporting the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And RNIB are calling on local authorities to make sure that there are accessible ways for blind people to do this, because obviously there's no point in getting someone to report it if they physically can't because it's not accessible. So they're also calling for awareness campaigns to educate local residents of the problem of overhanging plants and bushes so that people are just more aware of it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times that's what it takes. Just people to stop and say, well, of course that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Are you aware of any action being taken against people who have caused problems for other people by keeping their, you know, plants in working order, if you will, trimmed? 
Yes. So apparently it did take a lot of effort. I did read a report on social media about a man who had to pressure his local council for two years before they took action to get a resident to trim overhanging branches. Although he did get compensation for the delay, um, you know... <sighs> Even even when you get money, it, it just can't be nice to have to walk around the long way, you know, and, and take such so much action and go to such lengths just to get a, a branch clipped back. That's all you want. Yeah, it would be interesting if people just, instead of feeling, well, you can't be the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do, would just stop and, and say, yeah, okay, th- that's the right thing to do. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, you spoke about guide dog refusals in the UK. Mm-hmm. What's the latest on the campaign to tackle that? Well, Kelly, I am so glad you asked because it is obvious that somebody really important was listening to that guide dog section that I did here on the show of a few course. weeks ago. Because right afterwards, would you believe it? I saw that the stickers that we mentioned in the shop windows that I suggested that would be a good idea were now forming part of a guide dog campaign. Can you believe it? You heard it here first. Um, See, Brock, you can cheer too. Some, sometimes it takes media to get people to listen to these things is what I'm hearing. Influence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we don't know it was me, I will say, but, you know. We, we kind of wink. We're going to go with nod. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope that uh, t- goes somewhere to tackle those refusals, you know, uh, when it comes to it. Um, because, I mean, Fern, it would really be nice to see some steps taken in this capacity. Yeah, so Guide Dogs are planning a campaign where volunteers go and speak to shops and other high street businesses to educate them about the rights of guide dog owners. And they will only ask them to display a sticker which says open doors for guide dogs and all other assistance dogs. So then, you you know, there's no getting around it. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, it's really, as we've talked about, it's a protection for everybody involved. So people know the right things. And again, going back to the tree branch analogy, just knowing and understanding, stopping and saying, well, yeah. Of course. Mm. For an awesome, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much, and you have a great show. We shall, thank you. Fern Lullum joins us every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights, right here on Kelly & Company. Up next, ladies and gentlemen, we speak with Luke McConnell, who's hosting a fundraising event in memory of his good friend Justin Masati with Sockability Canada. We're going to learn more about this great initiative and why it's important to him right after the break. wide country of ours. Ah, wonderful place. And one of the things that's wonderful that you can do is you can listen to Kelly and Company right from your TV, folks, no matter how big and how wide this country is. MTS customers, look for us on channel 704. And Rogers Atlantic, you guys can listen to us on channel 196. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area in which to take the program in. You can check it out and across the country find out which provider, especially yours, the most important one, right? You can find Kelly and Company. Co-hosting with me today on the program, Ramya Muthan is away, is Brock Richardson. 
course, the host of the Neutral Zone podcast, right here available as a podcast on AMI-audio and as a video podcast. Well, we're going to be joined by Luke McConnell, who is hosting a fundraising event in memory of his good friend, Justin Masotti, with Soccer Ability Canada, Sunday, October 2nd in Hamilton, Ontario. He joins us now to talk more about this great initiative. Luke, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me on. Can we start, if we could, by talking about Justin and why you want to honor him? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I met Justin when he was 15, I was 16. We trained together uh, at the same soccer club. Uh, it was a bit of a unique uh, soccer program in Hamilton. It wasn't so publicized. It was a bit of a, an obscure training uh, routine with a, a Greek coach, um, had a bit of his own unique ways to, to train. We trained in the winter, uh, in the snow. Uh, we did a lot of running. We would train for two, three, four hours. Um, training would start at six o'clock and it would end whenever he said. Um, and this is at the team where I met Justin. Um, and so training with a team like this, uh, you become quite close to the team because mm-hmm. you're spending so much time together. We would train four times a week uh, for, yeah, two, three hours and a lot of running on the through the streets. So you get close to the team, right? Um, so Absolutely. that's where I, I get I got to know Justin and both had the same passion in, in the drive to, to play soccer at a professional level. Um, and he, he really, you know, was one of the ones on the team that really, really was committed, really gave it his all. Um, and we, we both, both of us, and he really improved so much over the, the three years that we played for the same team. The first year he joined the team, he was a, a year younger than me and one of the youngest on the team. Uh, he was very shy and a bit timid and, it, you know, he, you could tell he had the passion and the talent and the desire, but yeah, just a little bit shy. <laughs> and then the next two years after that, he just he just took off. He just uh, turned into this uh, whole new player when he got more confident. And uh, it was incredible to witness. And it just he, he became an inspiration for me, even though I was the older one on the team and uh, a, a leader as well. Uh, he, he was such a, an inspiration. Wow. Absolutely love you speaking in this way and, and talking right off the bat about that bond as being part of a a, a team because, the, like you said, that, that bonding, whether it's running and cursing at the coach for making you run at 6 o'clock in the morning in the snow and the cold, there's so many things that put you together as a team and you take away later and say, wow, what, what great times. I want to talk about you've been growing your hair for over five years now. Tell us why. <laughs> well, when... Uh Justin was diagnosed with the brain cancer about uh, six years ago. I was abroad. I was living uh, in England at the time, studying and in, in, in playing, uh, something that we both had dreamed of doing, of playing abroad. And uh, and then I'd moved to, to Portugal, actually, to play when I learned about uh, Justin's passing. So I wasn't around for the last, uh, for the year that he battled uh, the, the brain cancer. And uh, yeah, just being in Portugal at the time when he passed away, playing for a team, I was living by the beach, I was training every day. I, w- I was living the dream that we had both worked Man. to get to the last yeah. 
well, three years, but since we were since we were six, seven years old. And so when I, I heard the news that he passed away and, you know, I just, I felt, of course, so many emotions and I just thought, look, I, I felt bad that I couldn't have been there to support him and the family. But I just thought, you know what, like, this isn't fair. Like, I'm here doing what we both wanted to do and we both trained so hard for and just life's not fair. It's just, it could have been, it could have been me. But at that time I thought I need to do something. Like I didn't feel, didn't sit right with me that I wasn't able to be there and wasn't able to help and support. So I, I didn't have much of a plan, but I just said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow my hair. I'd always sort of been the guy to cut my, shave my head every two, three months. So I thought, okay, this is a, a good way to make a little bit of a stand and to do something. So yeah, I just said, I'm not sure when this will end or what, where I'll raise money for, but from now on, I'm, I'm not going to cut my hair for the foreseeable future. And yeah, f five years, five years on, uh, here we are. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a long, a long process, a big journey. Wow. Uh, with the hair, the hair growth, it's kind of felt like wherever I traveled and my journey has been a, a, a long, crazy journey. I've been in maybe four or five countries since uh, I played in Portugal. As the hairs got longer, it's been a bit of a symbolic way to sort of take Justin along <laughs> as it went from, you know, I, I moved countries and my hair got longer. It was like, okay, you know what? Like Justin's not here, but it's like, okay, now my hair is down to my ears, my chin. My shoulder is down to my past my chest, and now it's to my lower back. It's like uh, <laughs> felt I felt uh, Justin there there with wow. me in a in a bit of a symbolic way. Sounds like too that he would have just loved that, just living the dream with you, and and knowing obviously you are, he's right with you. Yeah, well, he would have loved it. We the whole goal of this team that we trained with was to to play in Europe, and I was one year older, so I was one year sort of uh, farther along, but. When he finished high school, he had plans to to join me in Europe. Uh, he was super excited that I had already took the, the leap of faith and, and, and come over. So I knew that he was just counting down the days. And I mean, for sure, he would have linked up with me and maybe my team or I could have helped him with, with some connections. But there's like for sure along the way that we would have uh, been over here. Uh, yeah, doing this together. And, and then that's another funny part of it is that like, Justin and I, we were, we were very close on the team, but we didn't hang out outside of school. But what sort of makes this a bit real for me was that I knew that if Justin had been here, like, we would have been living together in Europe. I, there's other players from the team that came over. And while we were living in these different countries, we became so, so close. Like, because you're you're the only foreigners on the team, you're the, the new guys, you're in a different place. Build a bond, and, and that's sort of, like, what was the big... It all like so tough that I knew Justin and I would have become like even even better friends than we we already were if you if you understand. That's awesome. Yeah, I do yeah. understand. I I played uh, sports on teams for more than half my life, so I totally get the bond and understand it. Can you give us some of the details that will be taking place on October the second? Yeah, for sure. So the October 2nd at Tim Hortons Field, uh, starting at 3 o'clock, going from till 6, we're going to be putting on a, a blind soccer training camp and match. So I've partnered up with Soccability Canada, which is a, a non-profit organization based in Pickering. 
that is working on improving the landscape of disabled uh, and improving the landscape of accessible programs around around Canada. Um, and of course, one of those areas is is blind soccer. That's amazing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the first hour of the camp will be like a, a training session, so there'll be players coming in to to put on a they'll put on a training camp, and then there'll be a match between uh, the team in, the team from Pickering and the team from Mississauga, and then the last about hour or so there'll be a chance for for any spectators to actually try out blind soccer, which I think is really cool. Yeah. We'll have a uh, the the shot, uh, the covers for your for your eyes, and you can learn uh, get a little feel for how the players uh, play with do it with the the blind soccer. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We've talked about it on the show. Um, my my co-host Ramya plays, and you really get to 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 have your fun, to enjoy, and seeing it take off the way it is in Canada now and around the world, where other places are a little further ahead. It's absolutely amazing. Tell us how the fundraising is going right now. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's it's slow and steady. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like I best. said when I started do, doing my haircut, the hair growth. I didn't sort of know what I would do, but I came across Matt Greenwood from this uh, Sockability mm-hmm. maybe at the beginning of the summer, and uh, I found like, I thought that was the perfect organization because Justin went blind the last month he was uh, before he passed away, and uh, I thought it was a good organization. So. But it's all come about quite quick. The, the renting the field for Tim Hortons Field, renting the field at Tim Hortons. Um, but no, I'm I'm happy with it. So many friends and family have reached out to me, giving support. They they didn't know the reasons behind my why I was growing my hair all these years. So <laughs> it's really been a it's been it's been fun to sort of connect with some old people and to see people reach out to me like that, saying, "Wow, look, we we didn't know that blind soccer." was kind of uh, a bit neglected in, in Canada. It's, it's not probably given the attention that, that it needs. Right. And, yep. you know, we're trying to kind of open people's eyes that that this is a, important and there's a, a big community for this. And Canada soccer needs to be doing a little bit more, I think, and to be giving the, the blind athletes a, more of a chance to play. Like, there's nowhere even in Hamilton... No. To, to play. Yeah. Well, uh, you you no. hooked up with the right guy with Matt Greenwood. He's the one to walk me through it. We were doing a TV piece, and his passion okay. for it's absolutely wonderful. Luke, um, t- tell us where we can go to help support. Where you can go to support? There is a, a GoFundMe page. So uh, if you search uh, Justin Justin Masati on on GoFundMe, uh, there's a Facebook page out there. Uh, if you search. Uh, also, Justin Masati Blind Soccer Training Camp. Maybe you can put those links uh, somewhere for people to up on our blog. We'll get reach, it up there um, on yeah. Sockability Canada on Instagram. Uh, has uh, posted about it a lot, and uh, he's the guy to to talk to 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 learn more about this. Uh, and my Instagram is uh, at Luke's Leaving. So you can. I'm happy to people to reach out to me to uh, see my Absolutely. haircut. Which would be, soon so uh yeah those are the please uh reach out to uh, donate uh, we are we are excited for this uh, for this day uh, absolutely thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview we greatly appreciate it that was luke mcconnell talking about his friend justin masadi and sock ability 
fundraiser going to be happening on October the 2nd in Hamilton. In the next hour of the program, step back in time and explore 70 years of Canadian children's television in the Canadian Museum's uh, newest exhibit. Also, his friend of the show, Mark Phoenix, joins us for the roundtable. But up next, the buzz. Bill Shackleton arrives in two minutes. Welcome back to the program, folks. Hour two, ladies and gentlemen. We do this every day from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. First repeat of the show, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on AMI-audio, and then 6 a.m. in the morning here on AMI-audio. You can check it out Eastern times uh, whenever you have time to listen to the program. Settle on back and enjoy. Uh, you getting lots of good feedback doing the Neutral Zone on uh, YouTube? Yeah, you know, uh, this uh, past episode that just got put up uh, yesterday really got some really good feedback we did a, a lengthy segment on uh, coaches week as we talked about on uh, Monday and I went very in-depth on uh, my father and uh, yeah he even had a chance to listen to it and was moved by the stuff that I was saying I don't think he believed how much of a good coach I thought my father was so uh, <laughs> that was kind of cool and some of the feedback that's uh, taken place and Lots of uh, love coming from the podcast, and Did we you got to give credit where credit's due, and you guys talked to Mark a couple of days ago, anyways, and, uh, you know, that's where it comes from. Does, uh, do you think your dad and mom listen more than you think they do? It's funny you should say that, because now, uh, based on the comment he left, uh, yes, well, today, uh, I would think so. I my, my parents are, you know, sort of hidden away in their pride and so for him to publicly write his pride was pretty cool and and yeah it, it actually moved me almost to tears so I, I was very excited and that's the reason we do the podcast you know forget the fact that it's my father we we want to move people into having conversations so. and now that you're a video podcast your mom can look at you and send you messages later saying that shirt it looks terrible on you don't wear it brock do you know what's what's so funny is that people, like you and I have been talking about this, oh, it's all about the video. People gravitate towards the video, and, and it's so true. Our first couple of episodes have just gotten views like we've never seen before. And so awesome. I think people just like the connection of being able to physically see you on camera. We wouldn't have that problem, Billy. You and I can't see enough to, can't see to, all right, we wouldn't be able to enjoy it and make fun of his shirt. Welcome back, Shaq funny thing about uh, i mean I, I i'm of the belief that people are always looking so yeah i guess you you know um the other thing is that when i was living um at my other place i walked down the hall in the apartment at around two or three o'clock in the morning and guess what someone would listen to ami it's oh. like i couldn't believe it were you hovering at their door listening yeah, well, you know, listen, I don't know who they were, but it is interesting. You just never know, right? No, no, you don't. It's really interesting, the people that will say something to you. Um, you know, when I was doing TV, it was awesome. You know, being somewhere, I, I remember one day waiting for a ride out front in my building, and some guy got out of a truck, they were unloading something, the guy said, Hey, kill him, you live here? <laughs> it's like, Yeah, huh? I know. What? It was absolutely just 
tremendous. So that, that's really great. Shaq, where are we starting? As Bill joins us, folks, for The Buzz, we do this at the top of our second hour, Wednesdays through Fridays. Well, actually, we have two Canadian stories today. The first one comes from Global News. She's a wealth of knowledge. Nova Scotia coupon nanny offsets <laughs> inflation. This is a great story. Yeah. So there's a woman out of Nova Scotia that has, oh, by the way, she has a disability and she has PSD and she's on, you know, the disability allowance. So she of, of uh, you know, and if anybody knows how to save money on groceries, she would because right. she has, has a, and has a need to. Exactly. That's right. Has a need. So basically, um, she has put coupons on her website. Now, I don't know much about coupons specifically or how accessible they are. You're like Brock, you have too much money. You don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just me, count savings? Forget it. Who cares? Really? It's yeah. a lot of, I guess, I guess people, because it's a lot of work, right? Well, so, it's, but if you need to, and you're yeah. very good with money and that kind of thing, it, it, to them, this is easy. And it's, it, it's a goldmine because you find those, those sales and you utilize the, the coupons. Anyway, sir. Yeah. So, Kelly, the misnomer well, is that I, I'm cheap still. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still cheap. Brock the coupon kid. Yeah. Well, you, which, what she's done, though, is you know how when you, when you, if you use coupons, you have to go to the stores, you have to go to through all the flyers and so on. So if you go to her webpage, she has a, 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 a whole, tons of coupons that are already there. So basically what she's done is she's taken all the work out of you trying to find coupons. They're already – so some of them are – you have to download. Some of them you have to clip. So all these coupons that she's put up are, you know, which ones are available. And on top of that, she is actually helping um, women in a shelter. You know, when they when they come out of the shelter, they need, they, they need all the help they can get. So she has over 13,000 subscribers and, and growing. Wow, and that's she, Well, she says wow. she saves like $40 an order. Like I, I get, and I guess if you're willing to be flexible, you can save a lot of money. And I, I don't know how many people use coupons, but um, um, or you know how accessible they are to us. Well, I think there a lot a of sh- people use the flyers, right, Brock? I think yeah. they, they use that, the digital way of getting your flyers. Yeah, and there was that show, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was, it was all stories about people who would use coupons, and they'd get up to the the, the cash register, and they'd end up, you know, with their grocery bill being zero. And I remember a lot of people saying that doing this almost becomes a job in and of itself, but it's worth the whole. Well, I saved sixty dollars in mm-hmm. this case, and it's like you're you being know, paid it, anyway with the savings. Yeah, one hundred percent, and. And if you just need that and you need the savings, well, then put the time in to do it. And it sounds to me like this is exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Excellent, Bill. That's amazing. Uh, You want to uh, give us another one there, sir? Yeah, we're going to give us another one. This is really interesting, too. Canadian family takes world tour trip before children lose their vision. CNN brings us this story. So essentially, there is a family from Canada... And they have four kids. Three of the four kids have RP. And they will eventually go blind. 
and the the parents decided that they would take a trip and fill their kids with visual memories of things. So they saved up and they were they were going to go um, in 2020, but of course they couldn't because mm-hmm. of, of COVID. Right. So they they event they eventually left in 2022, and the idea was. To, so they started in Namibia. They went to, uh, well, uh, Tanzania. Mm-hmm. They went mm-hmm. to Turkey um, and Zam- Zambezi, Zambia. And the idea was that they got to see animals. They got to see culture. Um, they got to see fl- fauna, flowers, and this sort of thing. But one of the most important things they got from this trip is teaching kids their kids coping skills and i right. and i never thought of this much but when it comes to travel you're uncomfortable you have to be patient you have to be flexible so you, you learn a lot of skills um when you have to do this and yeah. they're they're hoping that these their kids will learn um you know uh, s- skills they can use in life but more importantly it's giving you visual memories of because they're not going to have sight much longer. Mm. But it's really interesting because those other things are so important. Like you say, the tolerance or just that people don't all live the same way as you do where you are. And these are the, the still the wonderful things about other people, other places that they're just as happy that their society, maybe they do things differently than you. Um, and they're just as wonderfully happy. They're just as lucky as you Brock. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, uh, I love the fact that, you know, they took the initiative to say, listen, the reality and the truth of all this is you're going to lose your vision. Let's give you lasting memories mm-hmm. that even in your mind's eye, you'll be able to, to recognize i think that that is a very very cool thing and good on the family for recognizing this and putting it together the other thing that came to mind to me was that they're very lucky that their their vision stayed as long as it did because the plan was for them to go in 2020 and of course they couldn't yeah but in those cases you you, you're lucky because you know the inevitable is going to be i'm not going to have vision and you don't know exactly when that switch is going to flip albeit slowly but you don't know when it's going to flip and say well you no longer have vision so i'm really glad to hear that it all went off and and they learned some stuff beyond that yeah i I wonder how much money it cost them i never it would be interesting to see how much i don't think you want to know i oh i think it would be pretty expensive you you remember that old on uh Price is Right years ago, Billy. That was the big trips they always gave you in the 70s. They'd say, you know, let's trip around the world as part of the Showcase Showdown. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. You, you never hear that mentioned now, Brock. No. Not even on your Price no. is Right. Not even. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Bill, when you think about something, a family who has the means to do something like this, so many of us are, well, it must be nice and everything. But I think those lessons, those those experiences – they're priceless. Like you can't put a value on some of the things those kids took away. No, and it wasn't just a vac- on vacation, as you say. It was a very, it was a very serious trip. I mean, it was fun, and it was serious at the same time. Yeah, right. It really, it sounds like it really was. You know, like it sounds so wonderful uh, with the experiences of joy, fun, and just learning how 
how other people live and those you know things that they will remember that they have in future when they're listening to an audio book or something or when yeah. you know the vision does depart be able to say oh yeah i know what that means when someone speaks about and i think mm. that that's just incredible awesome billy thank you Thanks a lot. We'll talk tomorrow. Bill's back with us on the Buzz, the Friday edition, so do join us, please, if you would. Explore 70 years of Canadian children's television in the Canadian Museum of History's newest exhibition. It's featuring everything from uh, Pepino to Paw Patrol. That conversation, up next, right here with Brock and I on Kelly and Company. When you have time, please subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast. You can listen to the show in its complete form from there, or you, along the podcast feed, you can listen to segments. So maybe you hear one you really like and say, oh gosh, I caught that partway through. Go back, check it out through the podcast. Or you've got that favorite contributor that you want to always follow along with and listen to their segment. Do that via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program, co-hosting with me today, Brock Richardson. It's time to step back in time, and we're going to explore 70 years of children's television in the Canadian Museum's history new, newest exhibit. From Papino to Paw Patrol, television of our childhood being featured. We're going to talk about this with Olivier Cotier, who is the exhibitor, ex- exhibition excuse me, creator. Olivier, welcome to the program. Nice to have you alongside. Yeah, I'm happy to be with you today. Awesome. Well, we always love chatting television, but can we start by chatting a little bit about where the idea came to create an exhibit such as this one? I'm a, you know, I'm a TV scholar. I'm interested in television and in all its glory, and I just wanted to um, find a topic that could be uh, uniting for Canadians, you know, because as you may know, uh, you know, people watch TV still, but in many different forms and, and in some uh, genre are more popular than others. And I thought that children programming would be uh, a very good topic uh, for Canadian coast to coast to coast. And it covers also 70 years of history. I always think it's interesting too, Olivia, because out of all things that most of us recall is TV. Of course, we talk with each other at work or at school about it, but what place where we got started seems to stick with us the most, but children's television, because it meant so much to us, and so many of many of us, mom and dad said, here, sit down and, wa- and watch Pepino, or whatever it might have been. You've got over 100 uh, different TV shows that are featured in the exhibit. What went into creating all of this? How'd you get this together? It was kind of difficult because, you know, as you may know, like 70 years of history uh, uh, is kind of, uh, you know, a big period. And mm-hmm. we wanted to, to uh, you know, uh, to take produce programs that were broadcasted and, and produced in Canada. So I, I, I created like a, a list of over 2,000 programs. And out of these, I, I've decided to include 100 of them. And mainly because of their you know, their, 
the fact that they were broadcasted for sometimes 30 years uh, because they were very successful programs uh, creatively and 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 also it uh, some of them had good ratings and and I would say you know out of the um, so what I wanted to uh, create was an exhibit where people could uh, could say wow this is the way I experience my childhood through TV so we were we did include broadcasters broadcasters like CBC Radio Canada uh, you know TV Ontario and as such and but also we we included like the likes of Netflix of CTV of TVA on the French side so the idea was to recreate the experience of TV through throughout these years mm, sounds amazing it, it- some of it must have been, especially the older ones, and we talk Canadian TV, so some of us may say, uh, you know, were many of them, were enough of the series intact for you? Now, the ones running 30 years, of course, but some of the others that may have been impactful or relevant uh, may not have run as long. Did you have trouble finding any of the shows that you had on your list that you said, this has got to be included? Did you have problem either finding it or getting permission to utilize it? I, I, I have to say that we had a really good partnership with CBC Radio Canada, and their archives are really, really extensive, you know, in terms of programming. But the, as soon as you go outside of CBC Radio Canada, you have to contact producers, and and sometimes, uh, you know, uh, some of the programs are were sold, um, you know, to, uh, uh, for example, uh, American. Uh, production companies and, and sometimes it's kind of difficult to uh, get a copy of them you know because it's either uh, they were produced before DVD was popular or, mm-hmm. or VHS even and sometimes also it's just a question of getting a good copy of them uh, and and being able to use these in in a very extensive way and 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 so as such we yes i did have trouble finding i would say stuff that was produced and broadcasted outside of right. the main public you know broadcasters yeah because there's a lot there's a lot of shows people don't even realize were produced up here voiced up here and 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 the animation was created here mm-hmm, for sure for sure and and the fact is, like, for example, the contemporary example of Paw Patrol, you know, it's produced by Spin Master, which is located in Toronto, and it's a global success. And and other programs, you know, are Canadians, like Theodore Talkboat, or, you know, Franklin, or these are kind of successful shows that were, you know, some people might not expect it's Canadian. And, and, and uh, you know, we did... Um, we wanted to be inclusive, the uh, inclusive of francophone, anglophone, and even indigenous programming mm-hmm. uh, that people are might not know of. But starting in the 1990s, you know, uh, some really uh, good and uh, interesting uh, indigenous uh, children program started to be produced, and we wanted to also uh, talk about that as well. Yeah, I think for me, I get fascinated when I hear you say that you had a list of uh, 2,000 and then narrowed that down to 100, which (laughs) seems to me like to be next to impossible. Was there a show that you said, looking at that 2,000, 
that you said this one has to be here full stop end of story and if so which one or ones were they so you you mean the most uh, the one i wanted to include the most or is yeah, the yeah, one that yeah. works with the one i you know for sure mr dresser for example is a mm-hmm. for me it was a no brainer for sure uh, you know uh, friendly giant as well you know it's almost 30 year of broadcasting uh, we've got uh, polka dot door and polka dot shorts so for me that's kind of the i would say the top 3 preschool programs, you know, and uh, I I wanted also to include some of the uh, programs produced for, you know, older children or preteen or teens, including uh, Degrassi, for example, and the different iteration of Anne of Green Gables. Uh, Mm. I thought that they were part of, you know, of most Canadian childhood, and and so these were like the most I would say the program my lights I, I really wanted to include. I've got others like uh, you know, uh, uh, once upon a river, Ami the hamster. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I've got also I wanted to include um, uh, some indigenous programming like Wapos Bay, which is was produced by NFB and some indigenous producers. Uh, and also there there are many francophone programs that people might not know of. Because the idea of the exhibit was really to be inclusive of every generation and also inclusive of, as I said before, francophone, anglophone, and and indigenous uh, programming. And uh, and you know, uh, we we did include, for example, Reboot, which was successful in the 1990s, like the first 3D computer-generated um, children program. Uh, we did include as well Today Special, which is a great was a great uh, success in the 1980s. The Literary Sobo, uh, you know, things that you know uh, were iconically Canadian and and that and also that lasted many generations. Like Literary Sobo, for example, was first version was produced in the 1960s, and then a new one was produced in late 1970s, uh, beginning of 1980s. And also another a cartoon that was successful was, you know, um, the raccoons. Uh, so uh, they are all included included in some forms in our exhibits. Wow, that's incredible! What kind of feedback since this has been on display since early September? What what so far have you got in feedback? I mean, people are are really really enjoyed the exhibit really because for for them it's it, for most people it's it's a way to dis- rediscover their childhood mm-hmm. uh people have these you know childhood moments where they just stop and have a look at their you know characters like pokeru or no, you know yes. uh, or truffles from the the last version of mr dress up or you know they they have these moments where they just stop by and they're like amazed to and it's like if they're back in their childhood so this is very a very nostalgic uh exhibit a family exhibit as well i would say because uh really what we wanted to achieve was that it would be uh interesting for both children parents and grandparents because we've included so many programs from the last 70 years. And so we wanted to create a family experience. 
uh, nostalgic experience, but also, uh, you know, people are uh, surprised to discover the sometimes the complexity behind these uh, children programs. You know, we we wanted to include, for example, the 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 way you know uh, racialized minorities, indigenous people are represented, mm-hmm. and also we we have a mini documentary about. Uh, for example, people with disabilities were represented as well so uh, in the children programs. Awesome. What do you want So the idea to take was a- really to give her another layer, another, um, I would say, oh, you know, yes, you, you can have this no- nostalgic gaze somehow, but you also you're able to get more information additional uh, perspective analysis about these programs. Yeah, I love it. Where can we go to learn more about this this exhibit? So, you know, it's a, as you said, it's at the Canadian Museum of History located in the Ottawa-Gatineau region. And so we have a website, so it's just simple. You just, you can have a look on our, our website. You've got, you know, all the information you need and including pictures and uh, even like the opening, uh, the, the video of the opening ceremony of the exhibit. And so really, uh, it's, it's just to, and I would say you have to say it's exclusive to our museum. So it, it's going to last for a year. So it started just uh, early September and will last until early September of 2023. So it's always a good idea to come um, to our museum and and experience it on your own or with your family, you know, because it's it's different experiences uh, going there your, on your own and or, or with other people. Right, one hundred percent. And you've made me want to go and check it out and do it and see it because when you said Mr. Dress Up, that was the show that came to my mind. Of I wonder if they have that one because that goes back generations. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. That wa- You as well. That was Olivier Cotier, the creator of the new exhibit, which uh, features some of our childhood shows going back 70 years plus. Kelly, I loved the conversation. It just made me think of all the shows that I watch uh, as a kid. I really wonder which ones or what surprised people the most going to check it out, especially the ones they may not have been so sure were. Really? This is Canadian? Wow. Joining us on the uh, roundtable this week is friend of the show, Mark Phoenix, as he returns, a familiar voice. We'll bring him on board next on Kelly and Company. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. Just you, say yeah, it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes. <laughs> well, I, don't know what I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Well, Brock Richardson loves being a part of the round table. Hello, Brock. We're all set to go, aren't we, for this week's edition of the round table? Uh, also, something really cool is happening, Brock. 
we get to bring in a voice. This is almost like voices. When you bring back a familiar voice to the network, the only difference is we're not going to hear him on this program in a different capacity. Mark Phoenix joins us, former editor over here at AMI. Uh, Sir, welcome back out in Newfoundland. Are you hanging on out there? Yeah, I'm holding real tight as the uh, wind picks up, uh, waiting for the second hurricane of my time here to rush past. Fortunately, we're not going to get too, hit too hard where I am, but uh, good times out here. Tell us, um, the last time we had you on the show, we really didn't get into this too much. Um, Newfoundland, what sent you out there? And so many people, it used to always be BC. We'd, we'd have Ontario people say, I'm heading out to BC. I'm done living here. Um, you went east. <laughs> I did go east. Well, the first reason is that my brilliant wife, uh, Deborah, is from Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. And we got extremely lucky with a very cute little place that we stumbled upon, um, which, I mean, I open a window, I can hear the ocean. So, you know, that's oh. kind of what sold us on getting out, of, getting out of Toronto. And, you know, we were just kind of done with the endlessly rising rents, the rising temperatures, and it's just getting much more difficult to live there. Um, you know, transit service has not appreciably expanded in the 20 in the past decade and not very much in the past, in the 24 years that I lived in Toronto same complaint um, we have here in London yeah. except it's 200 years it hasn't expanded but anyway yeah. <laughs> fair point <laughs> so you guys knew exactly where you were going to go like when i say that i don't mean you just left and said anyone got space for us to stay i mean <laughs> for a while you you've kind of known well, if we move out there this is where we would go Yes, we, you know, we had a sense of what we were getting into, um, and we weren't, I mean, you know, we're not gamblers, we're definitely not property flippers, we were only going to get a place if it was an appreciable, you know, improvement upon our situation in Toronto, and beyond all hope, that actually happened, so that's kind of the main reason we decided to pull up stakes and uh, head for the rock. Well, we'll keep posts on what's happening, what things you get into up there. Sure, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll be getting you on here as, as often as we can, since at the moment Hopefully you have trouble. A, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, we need that, and if you have that disposable time, why not bring him on here, right? Guys, I'll start with our first item. Federal cabinet ministers today are expected to launch a long-awaited review today of the Trudeau government's cannabis legislation. It was back in October of 2018 that the Trudeau Liberals lifted a century-long prohibition on the recreational use and sale of cannabis, with the provision that they review the law three years after it came into force. That review is nearly one year overdue now. The legislation dictates that the government must investigate the impact of legalization on public health, youth consumption, and Indigenous communities. The review will also look at the cultivation of cannabis in homes. The Health and the Addictions Ministry are due to present their report to Parliament within 18 months. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. I like this. Uh, I would love the review to include the financial benefits to government as well. Um, I'll start with you, Mark. Your thoughts? Well, I will be very curious to see what the government produces on this. I will say on the ground, I mean, the country hasn't burned down. It's not a reefer madness nightmare like I'm sure some people were trying to fearmonger about. And frankly, I think a lot of people kind of expected things to shake out as they have. There's still 
um, an extra legal market, obviously. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, it may never get squished out. But a lot of people are happily, as far as I know, purchasing cannabis in licensed facilities without having to do fun things like meet, you know, sketchy individuals in front of grocery stores. That is a nice step up for a lot of people. Um, I'll be curious what they find about the health impacts. I know, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people have been caught by surprise by the strength of, say, edibles, for example, you know, not quite knowing how much to take at once and, you know, having a, you know, significantly bad trip. Um, I don't expect, I honestly don't expect ma- any recommendation of major changes to the legislation. Um, probably at best, I'd imagine there might be kind of a push to expand uh, access to legal sources of cannabis. Um, I know the industry's been having a bit of a downturn with producers kind of, you know, falling off left, right, and center. And I mean, having left downtown, you know, having just left Toronto, every fourth store there is now a pot shop. Well, so that's the thing. I'm sure you, you, it got, it just got out. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You, like it, it just yeah. you had too much drowning other businesses out. If this, if you want it, when you talk about it being the, a business, that was one of the things you just kept seeing. So, and I, I know that's going to be the explosion one gets when you legalize something that you haven't legalized for a hundred years. It's an interesting way it spins around. Um, I obviously love the fact. Let's check. Let's see what, especially the health um, is. You know, let's see if this has created any thing that we need to address, need to worry about, and and we're going to move forward with it. We know that, but let's do the things mm-hmm. right. Brock, I'm sorry. Anything you've got for us? Yeah, I, I'm just going to say, because Mark hit it a little bit, in that, you know, there's so many uh, shops that are within, you know, close by. I mean, I can think of four stores that are in walking distance of themselves. Like, they're, they're almost across the, the street from each other. It's, it's turned into, Hortons. remember, that's I was just going to say. Remember when we used <laughs> to say, oh, there's another Tim Hortons. This is what it's becoming. I, I I respect the government, you know, being held to their, you know, you have to review this for the reasons already illustrated. I do get concerned because of the financial gain the government gets mm-hmm. from it. Uh, that's the part where I'm just like, are we really going to dive into this the way we should when the government has their hand in it? Yeah, but if we don't continue this, then we're not getting financial gain. Again, do I agree with Mark in the sense of has it really gone, you know, haywire? No, probably not. I think we need to look at it more as making sure that we're getting the legal stuff so that people are consuming, you know, stuff that's not laced with whatever. And I think that's where we need to start. But I do have concerns about whether the government's going to be truthful about it. Works it works well. It works well. No finance. problems. Yeah. Right. 100%. Yeah. That, that is my biggest concern. I don't know how it's laid out that way with the government. So I don't want to pretend to be an expert on what the government's hand in. But we went through this with cigarettes. Yeah. Okay. Guys, let's move on to uh, a new study shows researchers are showing and teaching robots the art of laughter. Knowing when to laugh, and more importantly, when not to, is difficult enough for humans. Now researchers at Kyoto University in Japan are training artificial intelligent robots about laughter and the timing of a chuckle. Erica the robot, just one of the AI bots learning a sense of humor and how to use it in social settings. 
Researchers use data from dozens of speed dating conversations with students. Talk about awkward. Scientists say they hope the technology will help AI systems and people evolve. Michelle Franz and ABC News. I wanted to hear the robot laugh. Uh, Brock, a lot of people feel that this <laughs> kind of thing is creepy. Like, I, I, is this kind of like uh, teaching robots to laugh? Yeah, I I can't envision this properly. I mean, I I've always been told that you know, in in moments where maybe there shouldn't be, I crack a joke at a at a terrible time, and it's like I just want to be mad at you, and you got to crack a joke. I you know that's that's good, but I don't know if we need robots to tell us the appropriate time to laugh and not like it just like how far are we going to go with robots is somebody going to be coming to my house taking care of me in a robot anymore now as opposed to you know a, a human being you know like how far is this going to go and laughter with a robot i'm not so sure eventually right it's that whole robots showing emotion mark i mean i i've always found it the strangest or scariest movies are when you take a comic and have them play like a serial killer or something. <laughs> um, you know, there are so many movies and novels and graphic novels about <laughs> artificial intelligence. And, you know, we, we have a slew of articles about, Oh, machine learning does this artificial intelligence does that. Do we even know what do, we, do the people <laughs> who are researching this understand quite what they're doing when you're teaching a, say you're, they say they're teaching a robot to laugh. Well, they're teaching them. They're trying to get, train a machine to produce this sound at an appropriate time. It's you right. know a bunch of numbers and values compared, but you know it's often presented as oh we're you know we're evolving you know artificial intelligence. Are we? Do we know what that would actually look like and mean? Because uh, you know it's often presented as oh we're you know we're creating helpers and you know new servants. Well, that almost sounds like we're creating you know new life forms or new intelligences. Yeah. And that's when ethical questions start to creep in uh, that I know at some of the tech companies, you raise them and they start to look at you a bit funny. But things have to be asked, you know, are these things being oversold to the public and are the people working on them? Do they do they know what they're what they're creating? I mean, we did have a recent entire sci fi series about creating a bunch of robots that rose up and, you know, slaughtered most humans and how that went. So, um, you know, it's. It's interesting. Well, it's interesting but, when uh, also it becomes the normacy that when, at what point are we not laughing at your, ourselves when we're thanking after we've asked a question to our smart speaker? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like do you, the question is, do we start, you know, treating, you know, do we start responding to the various machines and devices in our home mm-hmm. as if they're other, you know, actual, you know, living entities? Do we show respect to them? Um, will they respond based differently based upon how you treat them? You know, these are all sorts of questions that they got to get answered. Well, and I know people get funny sometimes about people who do that response, you know, who are sad and telling their, their pet bird that they're having a rough day or complaining to their bird, you know, who, who, who can't understand them or whatever, but they'll swear to you. No, no, he gets it. I'm just, I just need someone to talk to. So it gets really where we, we are first to say, well, that's wrong. Why are they doing that? Uh, yet we're okay. Thanking smart speakers. How far does it go in, in creating robots to laugh? And I don't really know because how much does that confuse or, does it change or do we change with the time and that just becomes normal that you're going to have for the for for whom it matters the robot that laughs um well, yeah, i, I laugh kelly general, because 
Uh, you, you go ahead, Mark. Brock, hold on to that. I'll make this very quick. I think starting from a general stance of respect toward anything you interact with is probably a good, safe starting point. Yeah. Brock? Laughing? I laughed because I, I'm like... Yes, I am the person that responds to my smart speaker. I, I am because we, we, we get so accustomed to the fact that, like, what are you supposed to say? What was Canadians drilled in my head as a child? Right. Of, thank you. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. And it's to the point that it's like, why am I thanking a thing that's not going to respond as of yet with, you're welcome. Like, it's just, it's, it's not going to do that. But in my conscious, I feel better about doing yeah. my, Canadiana and saying thank you smart speaker well I it makes you that. wonder <laughs> if they haven't built in the thank you because they know that's going a little too far or they're scared well but then you're just case no no thank you uh u.s federal officials have cautiously declared the rollout of the uh, nationwide suicide prevention hotline a success now the three-digit phone number replaced the 10-digit number in july By mid-August, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services had seen a 45% increase in the overall volume of calls, texts, and chats received at the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The average time to answer any kind of message has been cut from two and a half minutes to 42 seconds. Nice. Uh, That, that to me, Brock, is the biggest takeaway. But for yourself, what do you feel the the biggest takeaway is when you hear this this national um, this national service uh, suicide prevention? There are people that need help, and there are people that need help immediately. And so, the quicker you can get to someone, the quicker you can respond. And and you are talking, or could be talking, about life. Versus death. If if you're waiting two and a half minutes and that person is already to a specific point, it could be too too long. People need to be able to talk to somebody and need to be able to talk to them as quickly as possible. So that's my biggest takeaway in piggyback to what you just said. Anything that keeps a person from being discouraged, 10 digits versus three, but they say the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services also figures that over 150,000 lives have been uh, saved because of the shortened number and reduced response time. Mark, do you think they're on to something there? Well, I would hope they are. Yeah. And I agree with everything Brock just said. Yes, the faster you can respond to someone, the faster you can engage with someone and, you know, talk with them and, you know, find out what's going through their head, find out, you know, why, you know, get a nice sense of why they, they feel like they're in crisis. It's a good thing. And I rather hope that the next push will be to ensure that anyone who calls can get access to further, uh, you know, more in-depth, more personal services, uh, therapy, support, that kind of thing uh, down the road. And I know that, you know, means more money, more organization, but it's something very much worth sinking resources into. So fingers crossed that the success is a success and that everyone takes an opportunity to, to build on it. Awesome. Guys, cheetahs have returned to India after 70 years. Eight of the big cats from Namibia made the long trek on Saturday to northern India, part of an ambitious and contested plan to reintroduce cheetahs into the country. Prime Minister Modi was on hand to release the cats into a sprawling national park. Cheetahs were once widespread in India but became extinct in 1952 due to hunting and habitat loss. 
While some conservationists say it could help cheetah populations and India's grasslands, others caution about unintended consequences of introducing a new animal into the area. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Uh, don't know if it comes from listening to too many old radio shows. Did not even know that the loss was so substantial in, in India. Um, I find not knowing seems to be when we have no idea life forms, certain ones have disappeared or on the endangered species list. Uh, this is a huge problem in my mind for how we just merrily dance along, Mark. It really is. Often, you know, we do a pretty trash job at caring for the other life forms that surround us when we're not wiping them out <laughs> entirely. We're often stumbling over ourselves to try to make up for that and somehow continuing to shoot ourselves and our companions on this rock in the foot. Um, that said, I hope they take the time and care to, you know, reintroduce uh, cheetahs, you know, carefully, as I would hope for any effort to reestablish, a, you know, a previously, you know, wiped out species. And I hope sooner rather than later we figure out how to do these things carefully and, you know, with allowing all the other life forms and the biosphere around them to kind of mold around them. Because, uh, like I said, again, we do a pretty clunky job at it right now. So yeah. I, I wish them well. I'll cross my fingers. I hope this works. Awesome. Uh, Brock, anything on that? Yeah, we need a life form. We need to coexist with the life form that is on this earth because, as Mark said, all too often we take it away from them for the things that we as a society selfishly need. The thing that scares me about the clip you just played is it feels like to me they're saying, oh, we're just going to put these cheetahs back in India. Uh, that's a little uncomfortable. I hope you do it the right way. That's right. Mark, of course, the right way, having you back on here on the roundtable. We'll talk to you again down the road. Good luck with things out there and hang on through the storms. <laughs> I will keep a tight grip, and thank you for having me on, and I can't wait to talk with you all again. Mark Phoenix, of course, familiar voice, folks, on the network. We're going to wrap it up after this. Well, Thursday edition of the program, folks, is uh, coming to an end. In a moment, we'll take a look at what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown when Paul Daniel joins us. But I'd like to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe to it if you haven't done that yet. Had a lot of great segments and great conversations with guests on the show and our regular contributors today. Uh, just simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and check it out when you have time. And you can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Jeff Ryman providing our audio vanity card for us today, which you can find on the end of the full podcast. At this point, Brock, you know it. You are back to the show as co-host today, so you go first. Uh, any segment you want to point out? Yes. Uh, you know, we talked to uh, Luke McConnell about his um, fundraiser that he's doing in honor of his friend Justin Masodi with the Sock Ability uh, Canada and it's happening on Sunday, October the 2nd. The thing that I took away from this, Kelly, is that teammates' bonds never end. You know, the, the, the feeling I got from Luke through the whole interview was that he loved him, he was a teammate, and, you know, we, he, that he wanted, you know, them to 
go on further. And just the passion I heard about in that segment was amazing uh, to listen to. And yeah, I was really taken aback by that segment. Awesome. That that's really amazing, and it really was. He really spoke emo- emotionally and very passionately about soccer, ab- about his friend and the relationship. Uh, really, something to go listen to, folks, and maybe you can get in on on helping with the fundraising. Uh, we also had a great ch- talk about a, a new. Uh, exhibit uh, from the uh, Canadian Museum's history, and this is from uh, Pepino to uh, Paw Patrol, folks. <laughs> 70 years of Canadian TV. We really enjoyed that. Really good to go back and take a listen if you get a chance. If you also get a chance, tomorrow check out Now with Day Brown at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-TV. Paul Daniel joins us to give us a preview of tomorrow's show. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, the uh, Friday news panel made up of Dave Brown and Julia Gupta from the uh, Pulse and journalist Michelle McQuig will convene to talk about some of the big stories of the week. Uh, Karen McKay from CELA will give us her feature selections in observance of International Daughter Day, which falls on the fourth Sunday in September. Sounds Mm -hmm. like a song written by the Letterman, the fourth Sunday in September. (laughs) (laughs) It's all all tomorrow, Kelly. That sounds great, Paul. Um, What's your favorite Canadian kids show? Any come to mind? Yeah, Mr. Dressup. I was going to say Mr. Dressup doesn't count. And Friendly Giant. And Friendly Giant. There's a chair for two who want to cuddle up. And No, how does he say that? The big armchair that you the probably cur- wouldn't say that kind of stuff? In. Curl up in. That's it. Um, but really cool stuff and really yep. wonderful. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot, pal. Take care. On the beginning of Mr. Dressup was always great because that boot could be anywhere. Farmland, in the middle of town. Right outside, oh, outside the window here, Brock. Thanks for being with us, Mr. Richardson. You're welcome. Anytime. On tomorrow's show, reporter Grant Hardy will bring us the latest lifestyle headlines. No more empty shelf experience, folks, as Walmart is using artificial intelligence to keep products stocked. John Beeler, he'll be here because he's got the scoop on that one. Also, the Helen Keller Center is building a new housing complex in the Toronto area. Karen McGee will fill us in on the details. Bill Shackleton returns for the Friday Buzz with Bill. Ryan Huey highlights the upcoming Thank You Garden Party being hosted by Caliber Audio, showing appreciation for the hardworking volunteers in the industry. That's on the Chatty Bookshelf. And let's get the conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week, folks, on our Cut for Time segment. Again, a big thanks to Brock Richardson filling in for Rumya Muth, and we'll be back tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, ladies and gentlemen. I'm waving at you. Have a good night. Hey guys, it's Jeff here, and I'm pretty pumped. The reason being is that I am going away to Ottawa, Ontario for my bachelor party. Now, we wanted to go to Vegas, but we all know that the airports and the flying situation right now isn't really ideal. So we settled on Ottawa. (laughs) Uh, I love Ottawa. I've been there multiple times. I've been in the winter. I've been in the summer. It's a beautiful place. Um, 
although this time I'm going with 11 other guys. And so far, all I know, because they've been keeping it a secret from me, is that we have a massive Airbnb, which I would assume is probably a pretty big house. And that's about it. That's pretty much all I know. I can speculate that we might be going to a football game on Saturday, partially because I told my brother, who's the best man and is organizing everything, that the Argos are in Ottawa to play the Red Blacks. And uh, he also told me to dress for the weather on Saturday. And that's it. So I am basically speculating that we're going to a CFL game, which I'm stoked to do because I haven't been to a CFL game outside of Toronto ever. So this is definitely on my bucket list. Um, as for the rest of the weekend, I'm sure there's going to be lots of drinking, lots of eating, uh, probably getting into some shenanigans, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to uh, see what goes on. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted once I'm back. I, I'm back next Wednesday, so I will keep you guys posted. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.